Hi there, this is Denise Cooper, and today I'm speaking to Martin Woodward of Microsoft. Hi, Martin. Hey, Denise. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do for a living, what your job is? Sure. So, well, actually, I've just changed roles, believe it or not. I just joined GitHub just last week. So, uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. Yeah, I but, saw uh, that news go by. Congratulations. And, thank and you very also, much. Also to your colleagues, so you're going to be a big <laughs> asset to them. Well, thank you. Let's hope so. So, uh, yeah, so I um, was working uh, at Microsoft um, on a lot of our tooling for our internal engineering systems inside of Microsoft. And then um, previous to that, I'd been involved in um, helping them open, you know, release a bunch of stuff as open source. So um, I led the .NET Foundation for a while and um, did some work there. Worked with some friends of yours um, in um, as you knew, and, and Ross and people from the Apache side. Oh, from to Apache, sort of, yeah, of course, mm -hmm, of course. To bring open source into the business, and then previous to that, I was in. I was in a startup that um, Microsoft acquired that was an Eclipse and very open source based um, sort of startup that Microsoft acquired. And so kind of I got to learn Microsoft's open source policies at that time uh, through acquisition and then um, help them change the policies and rationalize them so that they could compete on a level playing field with the rest of the industry. Yeah, that's fabulous. You know, we, we were always told back in the day by uh, people like Tim O'Reilly that as soon as uh, Microsoft you know, got it, cottoned on to the future, that uh, we would need to be generous in, in victory um, and, and welcome them into the, you know, world of collaborative development. And uh, so over the years, there was a long litany of people that were taking them in the direction of open source or dealing with open source issues might be another way to think about it. But um, I think that this last crew really has made a huge shift over there. Um, you know, with Satya's help changing the tone of the company. So it's been really interesting to watch. Why don't you talk about what you found when you got there? Like what, what kinds of experiments were going on at that moment? So there's a couple of um, things. On the open source side, it was really interesting to me because um, they were in a culture that was very much kind of you know it was internally focused so not looking outside it was, um not looking to learn that's one of the biggest things that kind of satch has brought in is a um a growth a growth mindset is what satch talks about it but you know always looking to learn always looking for new ideas i think there was kind of a culture as i was coming in this is 10 years ago so as i was coming in there was still kind of a culture that we have the smartest people in the world here we can build the technology here we, you know we don't need to look and elsewhere um i'll be fair to i think it was fairly fair so coming in and trying to you know i remember trying to contribute literally an 18 byte fix to eclipse um that made eclipse work better on 64-bit windows so you know complete no-brainer of course microsoft should contribute this to um, what was at the time, you know, major, not just a major IDE, but a, a major framework for people building rich desktop Java applications. Uh, this make, is a total no-brainer that we should contribute this. And yet the um, the approval to do that probably had, you know, an order of magnitude of people on the two line 
to get approval than it did bytes in in the thing I was trying to approve. So that was a big that was a big lesson for me. And then the other thing that was a big lesson for me is just kind of how at that time, and this has really really changed. The organization was split into kind of very much divisions. There was a, there's a classic um, cartoon uh, of all the different organization charts across sort of the tech industry at the time, and you know you've oh, got. Yeah. You've got like Facebook, which is, you know, a, a net and, you know, Google and you've got Oracle, which is kind of engineering. And then this massive chunk, which is the lawyers, you know, and then you see Microsoft right. and it's it's three separate divisions with revolvers pointing at each other. And that's probably yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> probably a little bit yeah. extreme, but it's um, but it definitely it, every business ran very, very differently and every different side of the organization had different processes and the kind of the processes were quite old I would say you know they weren't the cutting edge in in engineering practices because these systems had grown up you know over time you know so we weren't using retail versions of tooling and it wasn't using the latest technology it used to take nine months to get things out the door and ship in customers hands because that's how we do things and um that's all changed you know i've got to say sort of now it's you no longer hear the excuse well this is how microsoft does it you know that's why we're doing this people people try and do the right thing and it's a very you know it's a very learning focused organization and also i in my area of the business anyway or the business i was in it's an area that kind of looks to the individuals who are who are closest to the problem to solve the problem and not not be kind of you know told thou shalt do it this way yeah well that's that's a big change just by itself right there um when I worked for Microsoft, which was, you know, 1994, it was a long time ago, but it's very much an engineering focused culture. And it used to be um, the whole internal of the company was set up so that Bill Gates could personally reach down and touch any engineer at any level of the company. And he used to do that. People, you know, even like beginning engineers would randomly get an email from him in the middle of the night praising something that they'd checked in. And that was that was the biggest deal. That was the motivator of all motivators. And it was also kind of a hero culture. Like it was good to, there were lots of single um, superstars inside the, the coding world. Um, so I'm curious, but I'm guessing some of that has shifted a little bit. It's shifted a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still have saved in an email. Um a one line that is beautiful from uh, you know from somebody high up there so uh -huh. it, uh, it, it, so there is there was some of that still when i arrived um but um that's definitely sort of gone a little bit people tend to you know that tends to be a little best and there is still um microsoft how to describe it uh, so i i have a physics background not a computer science background so Microsoft is like the the largest standard deviation of intelligence of any place I've ever worked. You know, it, you've got the same kind of people you work with everywhere, you know, that you meet everywhere. And then there are actual some like actual legit verifiable geniuses. Um, yeah, and the, yeah. inter the interesting thing is those geniuses are still are like the most humble people you'll ever meet. Like, they don't recognize the geniuses. But anyway, um, I guess that's always the way. But um, so they do have the capability for some amazing engineering talent. So there is a still a little bit of 
kind of you know if you have a conversation with anders halsberg you take that seriously or you know or something like this but um but it's not so much uh oh satcher wouldn't tell you to do something uh in terms of you know ic level he would he would ask you a question and the thing i've been impressed with is the quality and insightfulness of the questions I'm asked rather than the directives I'm given. Oh, that's a really good sign, actually. That's okay. that's fabulous. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the contribution funnel. Mm-hmm. And and I know that we mentioned it earlier, we, we you guys um, famously hired a couple of big names out of Apache, more than a couple probably. Yep. But I know that both of them were very instrumental in helping teach the company about collaboration. Yeah. And here we're talking about Ross Gardler and Chinugo uh, Rabolino. And at the time, Ross was actually the president of the Apache Software Foundation yep. when he was first recruited. Yeah, so. and I learned a lot from Ross as well as I was setting up the .NET Foundation, things like that, obviously. So he was a, a great person to just be able to go and pick up the phone to from time to time. So yeah, so in terms of, um, it's worth saying that we we kind of learned a lot of this from our initially from our work with open source communities and kind of some of that's translated back into the business. But um, the thing that we learn as we're trying to sort of share more with people who who have comp- different competing priorities they have different deadlines you know everybody is working on these things for their own reasons and um we quickly learn that when you are contributing code when you're sharing uh, things with people um the vast majority of them you know 99.9% of people are just going to use the thing that you're contributing. They're just going to consume. They're going to take the library. They're going to take the thing. And you never barely even know they're there. They never come back. You never see them again. They're happy customers, if you like. They've just gone and, and, and ran. So that's fine. Drive-by consumption is um, exactly what you want. You want people to be using your stuff because you know of those people a small, tiny percentage of them will give you some time. They will contribute something. They will maybe uh, log a, a defect against your library. Like they will let you know about a problem in it. Some people consume it, find a problem, and just leave, drop the library and never come back. Some people take the time, let you know about the problem, give you some decent, uh, you know, um, reproduction steps, hopefully, and then you know that's good. That thank you. That's a contribution. You can get people who maybe tweak some, uh, maybe you know, add some something around like documenting it or getting started. And these are all good. Or translations like these things are all kind of contributions of time. That especially things with defects and bugs. Sometimes you feel as a maintainer of a project to somebody who's owning a project. It's kind of, you know, you wish you know, people please give me a little bit more information or it feels a bit like debt, like, oh, no, these people are, you know, asking me to go fix something and we don't have time to go fix that thing. It's, you've got to realize that they've given you a little bit of a gift there and it's not, it, you know, you, they're not expecting you to well sometimes they are that's a that's a culture change but they're not they're not uh, demanding that you fix this you still own your schedule you still own your uh, maintenance but when people contribute time you need to be welcoming of that and like see how you can you know help them contribute things in the best way possible for you to be able to use stuff and in the areas that you care about contribution because you don't want them to waste their time but a small percentage of those 
if you were welcoming to them and bring them into the project, you'd be able to bring them down to where they're contributing some code. So somebody might contribute initially a fix, fix a spell, a typo in a code comment. Like that's a pretty extreme example, you know, a really small change. Quite often they're just sort of testing the waters, kind of just understanding the process for contributing and poking and you see if you were you know rapidly if you say okay well that that doesn't do any damage so you know i don't really didn't really need that but it doesn't hurt let's burge it in let's welcome them and then it's a week later a feature arrives from them because now they've kind of had a bit of confidence in building up the process they're now um you know they felt welcome they then encouraged to contribute some code so rather than just logging a defect here is a defect with some repo steps oh here's some code I think fixes it. And, you know, and that's like, wow, thanks. And of those people, again, you need to be welcoming and bring them down because it's only by welcoming the people who start to contribute code do you then get a small, tiny percentage of them to actually come in and help you drive that project long term. If you're not welcoming to people, if you're pushing them away, then they're not going to ever get down to that point in the funnel. And if you don't advertise your project, if you don't help people consume your project, people are never going to discover it. And so you're never going to have those people contributing some code. So we see the most successful open source projects and the most successful in the source projects actually investing in um, discoverability and helping people understand what it is this thing is, how to use it, how to consume it, um, why they should care, you know, and kind of have like a marketing website that then brings people into the product and then brings them down the funnel into contributions and helps them know where to contribute, that sort of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, we've had some very interesting presentations at Intersource Commons from companies who have even gone so far as to gamify this whole part of the process, which is fascinating. You know, we're all struggling to figure out what the magic bullet is that makes some cultures successful at this shift and others not as successful. And and so, you know, making it fun or 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 making it a nicer place to work or more welcoming, those are um, those are really common themes. And of course, we see that play out in open source as well. So make, that's gonna that's actually a bit of a uh, a tiny bugbear of mine a little bit. So we'll, we'll drill into that because. I've seen some people trying to like, yes, you do need to be welcoming and yes, you do need it to be fun, but um, you need to make sure you do more than just badges and gamification. And you, you need to make sure that you don't like build up a culture where there are teams who, who think all they do is deliver a framework into the organization and they're kind of removed from, you know, business use because they become like architecture astronauts and stuff or, um, with the badges and gamification side, that's good. That's an incentive. You need to make sure your incentives in your business are all geared up to help encourage sharing. You know, it's so yes, badges are great, but it's no good if managers are going to tell people off for doing this or if they're being told, as I've seen in some customers I've gone and worked with, you know, that um, yes, you, you can contribute to this, but you're not allowed to use work hardware to contribute to this. You yeah, know, yeah, that. yeah. I've seen that one too. And it's insane. So you need we we very deliberately actually changed our financial incentives model. You know within within engineering. So we Microsoft changed how they do the reward structure. We got rid of the old um, stat ranking model that used to exist when when you were around. And it's um, yeah, thankfully. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, that was that was um, 
inhumane, I thought at the time, and and it, they were not the only company using it. Lots of companies used but it. But and so instead of like that, let's say encouraging a you know a culture that's uh, showing your individual worth and making sure you could prove your individual you know contribution to the success of the business, we've changed the incentive model. So as well as encouraging your individual contribution, you have to demonstrate. Well, and this is the supply and demand of sharing with inside of the business, making sure we're, we're incentivizing both behaviors. So you have to say what you've done for the success of the business, demonstrate that. You have to demonstrate where your contributions are um, to the success of others, so how you've helped others be successful. But you also have to demonstrate where you've built stuff on top of other people's you know it's, it's so you've taken the, the work of others and built on top of it to deliver success so that's that's healthy in two ways it's encouraging both supply and demand of sharing but it's also encouraging recognition of the people's work that you're building on because if you don't say i did this on top of somebody else's you kind of actually you get a ding you know as, as opposed to um i did this all myself you know what i mean you, you are encouraged to say the fact that this was built on top of the work of others uh, as part of the incentives model so that's good i think that's a good good change yeah i think that's a good change too is it is it happening that people go and find people to to collaborate with while they're inventing to so they can say this was the work of of me plus some people it's know? It would be wrong to say that like that it slows them down. Like people still very much want to get things out the door, and you know, uh, um, y y so it does encourage them to look. It encourages them to recognize and and, and um, encourage them to kind of highlight the fact that they have collaborated with others. I don't know that it. I don't know how much it's it's kind of. Because the problem is when you work with others, it can slow you down as well. It can feel like it can, you know what I mean? Because you do have to pay a, there is a collaboration tax that you have to pay with all these things. And so um, now overall, you generally benefit, but it, you know, it, it, sometimes you think, oh, do I need to go involve these people? So there is still some of that that happens, but I, I, I'm hoping it makes a difference. It certainly seems to have done anyway, in terms of the, the macro culture, you know? Yeah, now when you talk about discoverability being really a key, a key piece of the whole thing, um, I have found in most of the older companies that I've worked with that discoverability has gone completely out the window. Like they, hmm. they, everything has grown organically and now it's a whole, you know, forest complete with, you know, hidden temples and, and uh, yeah. all the stuff. And it's it just making things across the company discoverable is a huge boon to companies but yeah. it's you have to do it if you're asking people to reuse code they have to be able to find stuff and um there are cultures famous cultures where uh hiding stuff from each other is kind of the norm um and mm. microsoft used to be one of those uh i think right. i think looking a little bit at the way that apple did things right so yeah and then there was also just a just a fundamental fear of people outside the organization, which you've already addressed. You said they started out very inward looking. Um, mm -hmm. That was seen as a strength when I was there. And so much mm -hmm. so that, you know, I came from Apple. And so we were sitting on a subnet of the DARPA net and I was used to having, you know, a live internet feed in mm -hmm. 1994. And uh, I asked for a machine with, that had an internet feed and they, they went, okay. And they went away. And they came back with a second computer because they'd already given me one. 
Wow. They came back with a, with a second one. They put it in the other end of my office, and they made me sign a piece of paper that said I would never share media between the two machines. Wow. So they were really freaked about the Internet back then. And and this was, as I said to you in our you know previous comments together, or conversation together, this was right around the time that Bill married Melinda. And he came back from that honeymoon, like ready to do a bunch of new stuff. And one of the things was the internet. <laughs> and uh, I watched as the culture was arranged at that time, he could literally direct part of the company to do something and they would just mm -hmm. do it. And I, I found that amazing because I, I can't think of companies in Silicon Valley that were that um, responsive to directive from the founder. Yeah. Right? Certainly Apple didn't work that way, you know, as Sun didn't work that way, right? So um, I always thought that was amazing. And But I'm wondering, was there pushback in this change? There must have been. So, it, it, again, it's stuff that the uh, people learned as they were initially open sourcing and then that kind of helped them work better inside the company Yeah, as that well. makes you guys really but, um, unique, actually, because... Most really? of the companies hmm. we talk to have brand risk and at the forefront of their minds. And I think Microsoft never worried about this as a vis-a-vis -vis open source because the first few efforts, um, you know, they, they were clearly marching to their own drummer in those early days. They weren't, they weren't worried about the brand. They felt, felt like the brand would, would survive it. Right. Um, but a lot of companies are worried that their, their employees are going to get it wrong and that it's going to cost them. And so they want to do intersource first so that they learn how to collaborate. Right. But it's cool. It's cool that you guys went the other way. It's very cool. Yeah, well, it's, it's been in, it's been interesting to watch. So um, I guess, again, it's because of we already kind of, you know, had that strong engineering culture internally. And our brand externally was the thing we needed to go fix, the, you know, was the worst problem. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I, but I noticed when getting engineers to share open source i've noticed this a lot i do know I, I do see it some internally but nowhere near as much um pe you get people going oh i need to like refactor this code and clean it up before we we ship it I and mean, before we make it the code available you know because everybody could see it and uh, you know anders could see it whatever you know i, I don't want to be embarrassed by it and you kind of have to just take a step back and say hey um, are you telling me this code's not good enough to run on like eight billion devices worldwide? You know, is this code not good enough for people to take critical dependencies on? Oh yeah, no, it works. You know, well, let's ship it. Let's just get it out there. This is a natural emotional thing attachment you've got to want to make it, you know, the very best thing, but get over it kind of thing, and just get it out there and share, and the world won't end, and you know, you won't, you know, it's it's building up muscles building up the organizational confidence in things um and people being successful doing things that's that's why culture change takes a while because you've got to you can't just tell them somebody you can't just give them the answer you've got to help them learn it and, and experience it and, tr and and get build up the trust in the process how long do you think it took to for intersource to really take hold i mean from start to finish maybe from the beginning of oh, yeah, well, so we've been doing it, like, even probably, I'm trying to, think, when you were around, did you remember a thing called Toolbox? Was that oh, around yeah. when Toolbox you were around? Toolbox existed, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, so there was, like, if you, if you, if you want to blur your eyes, kind of, so there was, it used to be a, so that's what, 94 kind of thing when you were yeah, around Toolbox 94. was existing? There was, 
it was like basically uh, for people out, you know, who've never seen it. There was basically Microsoft had this culture of um, file shares, you know, coming from like the, you know, the old sort of network file share days where there were there were shares inside of the business where there'd be stuff and whack whack toolbox would be a place you would go to and there'd be a network share where things were shared. And quite often that was tooling that had been built internally, but often the source code would be available as well um, for people to do that. Over time, toolbox became um, a, a, a site where people could share stuff a lot more. And then it morphed into a thing called Codebox. So we actually took a fork of um, Codeplex, the public sort of open source forge that Microsoft started in what, 2006 ish, I think, sometime around then. Um, it was maybe a little earlier than that. There was yeah. the, there was the um, <clears throat> something cloud, I can't remember, but Rob, um, Rob Scoble was the evangelist for the first effort that then that then this rift off of yeah and then and then yeah exactly and then codebox came around which was codeplex but internal and that was a deliberate sort of like forge that was you know a deliberate way of you know he, he you get some source you get some source code kind of storage space as well as the ability to share binaries and you can collaborate internally and then we moved so that was kind of i want to that went up to about um I want to say about 2012 maybe and then we had then we rolled out we were building the azure devops service so we we flipped some things on inside of azure devops which is kind of like the publicly focused um source control system that they had at the time still have um that flips some bits on so that if you're inside of microsoft um by default a project created inside of azure devops um, as a Microsoft employee was by default shared with everybody else inside of Microsoft. You could change it, but the default visibility was organizational wide. And we we switched it on for uh, Satya Nadella. We used to have these big company meetings that were like raw, big rah-rah events where, um, you know, uh, Steve Ballmer and before that Bill Gates would stand up on stage and do them, you know, do the monkey dancing and all that sort of stuff. Satya kind of got rid of those quite a lot. And we moved to in the summer, the big event was a, a big hackathon where everybody would get together and and hack on some stuff and work together um, for that for that first hackathon. When Satya came in as CEO, we made Azure DevOps so that you could share code easily amongst each other. And that was kind of the default. Um, and then we're at the stage where we're at today now, where we're sort of rolling out GitHub more and more internally because um, we, we're trying to encourage a lot more of kind of the same tooling that people are used to doing for open source, the same kind of fork and pull request workflows that people are using in open source, trying to encourage those more internally. So that's where we're at, but we're nowhere near. So that's, that's how long is that, Denise? That's like 25 years. It's near, you know, it's most of the time yeah. we've been trying to do it and we've, we're still not there. Like if we look at contribution reviewer relationships uh, and distance, so the, where a PR comes from and the distance to you in the org chart, ran some data on that because we can, because we have the systems, it's awesome. So 95% uh, of the contributions to uh, to your typical projects come from come from within the same team, you know, typically. There are outliers that have a lot more wider contribution. Well, the average project has about 95% of contributions are in the same team, but 50% of the contributions come from, sorry, 50% expands to, um, 
I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not explaining this very well. Basically, it's teams that are organizationally close to where that code comes from are still contributing the majority of the code. And only about, um, only a very small percentage come from wider across the business. So we're not, we've, when we have a few outliers that, that, um, that are really good collaboration areas, but in terms of the vast majority of code, like Windows or Office and things like this, most of that code comes from people who are on that team, you know, so that's that's where we're at today we, we, and we're trying to improve things. Yeah, well, it's it's I mean, it's a it's an example of a company, um, you know, in transition with the resources to to take the to take the hit as the transition takes takes hold. Um, in most companies, we find that their inner source aspirations often don't um, are not realistic from a timeline perspective. Interesting. And what we're trying to point out is that they can get value out of each step along the road. Yeah. It's not like it's not a destination. Um, it's not a case where you're graded on how fast you get to the destination. Yeah. You're being graded on how how the journey goes exactly. and what you glean from the journey. And I think in companies that take that approach, they don't have any trouble getting through it because they, um, you know, they, they find value everywhere along the, the path. Mm -hmm. And, and so they keep getting, they get addicted to it. Uh, and, and so getting to the point of full saturation, it's a goal, but it's not the only goal. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and it depends how you define foods because what the point where we're at today is I can go look at, everybody's source code i can go look at the windows source code the office source code you know off every everywhere that's not where it was when i joined the company when i joined the company um to even like i was a, i'm a remote employee i have been uh for 15 years now so i wasn't even able to see a demo of windows 8 as it was being built over a video conference you know what i mean because it was that kind of everybody I, I would need to know basis kind of some some areas of the culture whereas now it's uh, uh by default shared but we can still have private areas if we need to that's so that that side of the culture has definitely changed but in terms of results in terms of making sure there's cross engineering sharing we've still got lots of ways to go but what i love what you say is that it's about the baby steps you know making sure as engineers we always try and you've done this as well. You always try and be, you know, you over-engineer the solution and kind of preemptively optimize things. Just, just like make things a little bit better. How can you make it 1% better this week? And those over a decade, those 1% better every single week really add up to massive improvements overall. Yeah, that's right. But you have to have it set up so that you can celebrate that value you created in that, in that week, True. you know, because otherwise people um, lose heart. Mm on it all um it's an interesting thing no matter how messed up the culture is the pain of change will keep people from from taking the next step without a whole lot of support and and tangible value that everybody can see and celebration of that value you know that those teams doing better um for some value of better and it takes a long time to get hr to do things like change the the stacked relevance yeah. ranking to something you know, around collaboration. But I am glad to see, I mean, anytime a really big company um, changes its spots, what happens is all the people that work there and the people that that want to come and work there 
um, have a different experience and it reinforces in their careers because Microsoft's always hired lots of people, lots mm -hmm. of young people. The way they the way they learn to work becomes the way they think engineering mm -hmm. should work. And as my, um, you know, I'm I'm getting to the end of my tech career at some point here in the foreseeable future because I'm in my 60s now. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about what's the best gift I can leave as I'm going out the door. And it feels like helping more engineers learn how to develop collaboratively to basically lift the whole profession a little bit is the best thing I can do. And so um, pushing Intersource in, the in that direction is, uh, that's what keeps me in it, you know, all this time is seeing people that get the benefits and we see it, this sounds like it didn't happen at Microsoft, but we often see it coming in as part of implementing um, continuous integration and delivery right now, because that's the kind of thing that a divided engineering culture will each, each part of the culture will mm -hmm. want to roll their own, right? But it's not, that's not how it works. It needs to be, it needs to be compatible and hopefully similar enough that the whole company can benefit from that stuff, right? Well, it's, it's fascinating. This is very tied up with kind of our DevOps journey as well and being able to being able to make it so that when you join the company, you can have code running in the hand of customers the same day. Well, when you join the company, you get code running in the hand of customers the next day because the first day at Microsoft, you spend, you know, learning about kind of the culture and doing business, you know, learning how not to bribe people and learning, you know, all these sorts of good, important yeah. things that you learn in a big company. But then second day, you're in your team and it's learn how to get code running in the hand of customers that day. What's fascinating is what the massive culture shift has been if you were to change teams inside Microsoft, so you're already a Microsoft employee and you change teams. When I first started, that was basically like going to work for an entirely different company. Now it's if you change teams inside Microsoft, you should be able to have code running in customers' hands by the end of your first day on changing your teams. And that's huge. That's that's just, yeah, again, but, but that was more tied up with kind of our... It, it, they're all related, you know, in terms of our engineering efficiencies and having the best people in the business focused on engineering productivity for the business so that, you know, we can then trade those features out. One of the things you said really early was around, um, you talked about that culture of Bill Gates and kind of uh, the hero worship kind of side of things. And yeah. in previous conversations with you know has that changed and I kind of I was left kind of stumped I'm like has it changed I'm pretty sure it has because it's about the, the quality of questions that get asked is very different however one thing that did change is when is is there is still the capability for top down meets bottom up so it, when like we needed to change the stat ranking system and things like there'd already been you know kind of bottom you know bottoms up mumbling around it for years but it wasn't until there was a top down you know thou shalt change it it got changed pretty much you know you know very 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 quickly um it, and other things have happened in terms of that as well like our contributions to open source and our inner source kind of working it's been a bottoms up movement has met a top down mandate somewhere in the middle and kind of blown that the level of middle management impedance that exists in every single organization that kind of got shattered from top down met bottom up so that's been good that is good that's really good um well so what is your advice to companies that are 
um, undertaking this journey is, is part of it um, start with open source or is, is it more like look at what's messed up in your culture and, and um, it, it start projects that are give people opportunities to do something different? Yeah, look at the, I think it would be, I'm always, like you said, I'm always keen on encouraging sort of baby steps and incremental pro improvements. So don't try and do these massive things that are going to uh, change the world, you know, but, but they're big bets. So if they don't succeed, it will fail and nobody else will come try this again for another five years. So what are the small things you can do to improve the culture a little bit? What is your top pain right now? How can you improve things a little bit and then reassess what your top pain is now? Because quite often what you thought was going to be a problem didn't turn out to be a massive problem. You know, um, you, were, you were saying about this, um, you know, make sure you don't transfer media from your, your ISDN connected like Internet machine to your, your CorpNet machine. Um, transferring of IP and bringing in external IP into internal projects that you know people are trained and told you know what not to do and kind of how to respect people's licenses but that never became the kind of nightmare scenario that people always kind of worried it was a you know so we'd learned to manage the risks um and equally you know just go and try little things improve incrementally as you go and try and think about how you can as a leader inside the organization what questions should I be asking of the people on my team that encourages the behavior? Again, I mentioned I did physics. So the measurements you take of that system impact the system at measure. And the same is true with teams. The questions you ask impact their behaviors. If you are wanting your team to change how they do things, but you keep asking them the same questions you were asking them before, then you're not going to have any change. You've got to think about, okay, what don't I ask them? What do I deliberately not ask and then what what do i focus on and what do i consider as important and how do i reward incentivize my behavior in my team so that i can you know highlight people who are who are being successful and you know sh showing the rest of the organization that yes this is this is rewarded this is the kind of thing we want to do more visual studio code is a fantastic example that started as an inner source project that was then you know people were contributing to it it was um eric gamma from sort of a gang of four and eclipse days was kind of drawing it you know putting it out but did it very much as an inner source project and deliberately encouraging contribution that was then held up as a success of inside the business this long before it became visual studio code it was a component used in lots of different places and it but it was held up as a success we were showing look this is the way to work with others this is a way to build things and highlight it and then it became you know it went external contributed to open source and then it became the massive hit that it is and um and and we see it's one of the popular most popular open source repositories again because that team from their day one have had a a culture of encouraging contribution to them yeah well there you go that's that's how it most often works uh, exactly yeah. that where people figure out how to collaborate and then they realize that they can do that with the outside world so yeah. so it sounds like maybe parts of Microsoft are pretty much following the pattern then. Um, anyway, it's been really lovely talking to you. I'm conscious that I don't want to eat up into your time more than the slot that we um, allotted, but there's a lot of really good nuggets in this conversation. I'm sure that people are going to find this super interesting. So thank you so much.
for your Thank you for the time, Jason. Appreciate all the work you're doing to try and drive the inner source message. So thank you for all that work. Well, I mean, you know, it's just the better way to do software. I'd like to see us all, the whole world of engineers, learn mm -hmm. how to do this. It'd make it much easier to hire people <laughs> that are willing to go this way. And, and if we can have some influence over the way engineering is taught, that will be a big change as well. So um, thanks for contributing your voice uh, mm -hmm. to that and Microsoft's experience. And congratulations again on your move to GitHub, which I think you'll be a big asset for them. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you in that capacity because I spend a lot of time with those people. So thanks. Thank you very much.